This is Alice's Restaurant, 90.4 megahertz, and we're here to bring you the very best in rock music. You're in tune with Lou the Duke here on Radio City. If you want to write... Anyway, welcome to MAR on 266 meters, medium wave, the sound of the northwest. It's a Thameside Radio on 90.2 megahertz VHF. Welcome to episode 17 of the Pirates of the Airways podcast, where I talk to some of the people involved in the pirate radio world of the 1970s and 1980s. My name's Mark Wakeley, and this week I'm chatting to Bob Lawrence, or Richard Thompson, as some of you may know him. We have plenty to talk about from his long radio career, so I've split the conversation into two parts. This first part covers much of his early radio life at London Music Radio. And next time, we'll hear about his time on the Mi Amigo and the various ILR stations he worked at. So without further ado, let's hear from Bob. Hi, and welcome to another Pirates of the Airways podcast. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking to, uh, to Bob Lawrence, who most of you may know as Richard Thompson, on, uh, well, LMR, I think, was your biggest thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. London Music Radio. But, but it was the proper LMR. Sorry, Piers, but your one was the uh, the subsequent one. No, I, that's, that's unfair because um, um, London Music Radio was 1976 until about end of 77, something like that. Um, yeah, that was... Um, that was where it all started, really. Um, it was Radio Kaleidoscope, the mighty Radio Kaleidoscope, had closed. And um, about two or three weeks later, this new station had appeared um, to try and fill the void. And then a couple of weeks after that, they I was listening, thinking, this is great, because I used to love Kaleidoscope. And then I loved this new thing. And they put out this appeal for staff. And um, I went along and became part of LMR. Well, you preempted my first proper question. I always ask everybody. It's um, when did you first become aware of pirate radio as opposed to just listening to the radio? <clears throat> Two things happened, um, which were completely separate. Um, the first thing was offshore radio was I think probably probably 1970 with RNI and I discovered that because I was uh, I was not very well I mean mum said go to bed and you know the way mums did uh, my brother lent me his radio and I was listening to this radio station in the evening and he came in to check on whether I was still alive or not and I said um Oh, this is great, this this radio station. He said, yeah, it's from a boat. And I said, what do you mean it's from a boat? What does that mean? And uh, he explained, and that caught my imagination. But I don't remember anything after that until same brother used to play Sunday football. And I used to go along and watch. And, of course, after the Sunday football, I used to sit in his green Ford Anglia while him and his football mates were in the pub. And he used to bring me out, you know, the bottle of lemonade and a bag of crisps. And um, I, even then, you know, I, I couldn't stand Jimmy Savile. And he was on Radio 1 doing that Sunday afternoon thing. And, you know, even as a young kid, I thought, this is just crap. So I tuned the dial a bit and heard this, this music came out. And I was listening to that. 
And that was Radio Kaleidoscope. And um, I had no idea what Radio Kaleidoscope was. And when my brother came out from the pub, I said, well, what's this? He said, I don't know. It must be a pirate. And there, that word pirate gets into the young brain and it went. And so every Sunday I would listen to Radio Kaleidoscope just thinking, this is fantastic. You know, this is just wonderful. I never heard Kaleidoscope. My, my my entry into the well, my entry into the whole thing was about seventy seven, and exactly the same as you. As I've told people on this before, it was my brother. Uh, uh, I, I, for some reason, we got talking about radio. He said, "Oh, you know, Radio Caroline's still going, don't you?" I went, "Is it?" And he, you know, three one nine and and the nighttime service from the Mi Amigo, with that horrible heterodyne on it all the time. Um, but that's what, sort of what get, got me into it as well. And then you start tuning around and uh, it's the radio thing. That, that's what I'd ask you. Why radio? Why, why has radio sparked that? Why did you, how did it spark in you like that? That's a good question. And it's, it's a question that I've pondered many times. And I think, I think, Mark, you will probably agree when I say most radio people, and I don't mean people who work in radio, I mean genuine radio people. Most radio people, of which I am one, are weird people, aren't we? We are just all of us. We're odd. We're very, very odd. And I think what radio gives us all, this is certainly true with me, is it gave a really shy kid the opportunity to communicate and i could i could listen to the i remember the first time i heard radio sweden which isn't a pirate station clearly i was just gobsmacked i was listening to this stuff all about wheat production and and i'm thinking wow this is coming from another country and i'm listening to this and I tuned the dial. This was I was living in South East London. Uh, that's where I was brought up, and I tuned the dial a little bit, and I heard AFN, the American Forces Network, and wow! So these are Americans who are based in Germany, which is a million miles away from where I am, and so this whole world was there. But of course, because it's radio, you don't have to appear in front of anybody. You can just lock yourself away in a little room and you can you can get out whatever is inside. Um, and I think there is a huge element of that with so many radio people. As I say, the answer to your question is it gave me an opportunity to, to have these amazing pictures in my head. Um, you know, you meet people who talk about, oh, when I was a kid, I, w- I always had my, my nose in a book. I used to read loads of books. Oh, I loved books. Well, I never did. I listened to the radio. I mean, what a sad person I am. When I was about 13 or 14, by pure chance, I discovered that if I put my transistor radio on top of my mum's gas meter under the stairs, it acted like this super-duper aerial and all these stations. So... I mean, this is true, and, and, and I am a little bit embarrassed about this because it does make me sound so, so sad. I used to dis- I'd have my tea, thanks, Mum, and then I'd disappear under the stairs. 
close the door and I'd be in the understairs cupboard for hours until bedtime, just tuning the dial around. And of course, some of those stations that I were listening, was listening to were pirates. And, and that added a whole new level that I just didn't understand. So the pictures in my head were like fantastic. I, do you know how sad I was, Mark? And I've got a cassette recording of this. I've got, and I can't remember what they were called. The pirates that used to come on and didn't play music. They weren't radio stations, but they'd go, uh, this is Radio Groovy Granny. Uh, Groovy Granny, yeah. <laughs> yeah testing. Uh, can you, can you, anybody hear it? Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got a 609 going into a 402, and uh, I've cross-jumped that with a uh, standing by. And it was basically CB radio on medium wave. Well, I knew some people who did this, that QSL pirates, they were called, on medium wave. Uh, and, and I'm guilty that I was one of those people who did that kind of thing. Uh, I was never really as, as technical as that. But yes, uh, I, I did. And of course, it was pre-CB, so it was quite a thrill when you talked and then someone else comes back. I can still remember the names of these stations. Radio Percy, Radio Groovy Granny. I mean, just the, my, my favourite one was Radio Groovy Granny because I always thought that was such a great radio station name. Um, but yeah, Radio Watchdog, who actually became a good friend of mine and was actually instrumental in me having such a career in radio. But I used to just listen to So I'd listen to anything and everything, um, including, as I say, these blokes talking about 807s. What's that? Yeah, well, you talk about being radio people as opposed to just radio presenters or people you know, on the radio, anoraks. I've got no issue with people calling me an anorak. Um, I'm very proud of my radio interests. My wife always says you should go mastermind and do offshore radio (laughs) in the 1960s uh, because I keep saying to her, yeah, you know that shit there and that shit there and that's what the... And every now and then a picture comes up on uh, the offshore radio um, uh, Facebook site. They go, look at that ship. Doesn't it look fantastic? Look at the mast on that. And she just shakes her head and buries her head back in whatever book she's reading at the time. I think the thing is for me, um, and looking about that, and while you were talking, I came from quite a big family. Radio was mine. I could listen to the radio. I wasn't watching the television with, you know, six other people. You know, there's five kids in my family, mum and dad. I wasn't watching the television at all, their choice and stuff. The radio was mine. I could listen to whatever I chose to listen to. And we lived in Leeds in my early life. So it was really Radio 1 and Radio Luxembourg. And I remember listening to Late Night Extra on Radio 2. The only late night thing. Radio 2 used to go off at 2 in the morning. uh, And it was the only late night official radio other than Luxembourg. Um, And and that, for me, it was because it was my thing. It wasn't anybody else's. Um, And that person, like they always tell you when you're a radio presenter, the first thing they tell you is you're only speaking to one person. And that's the thing. They were speaking directly to me and no one else. It wasn't a mass entertainment in my eyes. It was very, very much one-to-one. Okay, so you're listening to Kaleidoscope. What's the next move? How, how How do you actually get involved? I mean, you've sort of touched on this, but tell, tell me more about that. So while I'm listening to Kaleidoscope, I said to Cliff, or Cliff said to me, and I don't remember which way around, shall we run our own pirate station? Yeah, great. Where do we buy a transmitter from? And because uh, I, you know, to this day, I'm not technical, you know, I, I've, I've been around it, but I don't. So anyway, we bought a transmitter from somewhere. And it was the size of um, a couple of packets of cigarettes sellotaped together. And we put this station out on two or three Sundays. And I think 
I think we were lucky if we got to, this was from a place called Winds Common in Plumstead, southeast London. Uh, if we were lucky, we got to the, the house that was adjacent to the common, but we didn't get any further. And this thing, we called it South Thames Radio. Um, and then whilst, whilst we were doing this, I heard this London Music Radio, which had ostensibly replaced Radio Kaleidoscope, appealing for stars. With the original Kaleidoscope theme by the group Kaleidoscope. This is Pat Edison. All that remains for me to say now is from all of us to all of you, goodbye and thank you. This is Radio Kaleidoscope. We're now closing down. And I just said to Cliff, well, you know, why are we pissing around doing this? Nobody can hear us. Let's go to LMR. So um, we did. And we both joined LMR um, ostensibly as location staff, just wandering around every Sunday in various parks, pretending we were interested in flowers or whatever. Um and then um, they LMR was medium wave, and then LMR introduced an FM thing on a Friday night, and two of the guys who were DJs on the medium wave went over to the FM, so there were two gaps available, and I took one and Cliff took one, and I became uh, Richard Thompson on London Music Radio. And I think it was, I can't remember, maybe 18 months or so. Um, and it was just the traditional thing. You record your shows during the week, um, turn up on site with a cassette for each show. We were... Um, <laughs> the tape changes. We 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 were so proud of our tape changes. I watch F1 on telly now, and um, you know everybody goes on about Red Bull changed four tires in two point one seconds. Yeah, and I sit there thinking, yeah. Well, on LMR in nineteen seventy seven, I did a tape change in one point four seconds, and it was it was a huge operation. I can't remember. Do you remember the the cassette machines that the pirates use a Philips something or other and yeah I, I can't remember the exact number but I know the one it was the push-up yeah wasn't it and that's it, it. Pulled down everybody used the same machines because yeah they did pretty much <laughs> they were great for feedback and all the rest of it but they were great for tape changes and it was a three-man operation one person operated the knob which turned it on and off one person had a pen knife which they slid in behind the playing cassette and one person had the next cassette so it was it was go and one person switched off one person flicked the pen knife so that the playing cassette would shoot out and one person put the next cassette in and the tape operator effectively would go back into play and those tape changes we used to get so excited about that um and then this was 76 can I, can I can I can I just come in on the tape change thing because now you've reminded me of of me and my tape changes I would hover over it with a hand on the play button and a hand just on the cassette 
And I always made sure that people recorded exactly to an hour and they knew, because there was always a bit of lead-in tape, I made sure that I stopped the tape at the hour, turned it over and started recording from that point on the other side. So that as soon as you turned over, the program came straight on. And I think like you, I was so proud of the fact that I got it down to, you know, two seconds or something between, you know, of dead air between uh, tapes. And it was literally like that thing where you're just hovering above and you're sitting there for ages just going, and then of course you've got one eye out here because that's the time you're going to get raided if you're going to get raided. And uh, luckily it never happened to me. But, um, you know, and you just sit there. And uh, But I know Jackie used to have a mixer, didn't they? Two tape recorders and a mixer, um, which which I never even thought of at the time. I don't think I could have afforded the other tape recorder of the truth of have been uh, the truth of the matter but anyway sorry sorry bob uh, please i just you just came into my mind when you talked about that and how people who do probably radio now and did fm links don't realize the art of changing a tape in a field <laughs> the thing um you um on the facebook group uh, i think it was or it may have been in one of your previous podcasts somebody said something about I can't walk past a tree now without thinking that would be a great place for an aerial. I'm the same. I tell you exactly who that was. It was me. I, I went for a walk at, at Wenlock, Wenlock Edge here in Shropshire, which I'm sure you know is part of the Shropshire Hills. And I, I still do it now. And I walk around and I look and I go, oh, that's a good... Again, I say to my wife, that'd be a good transmitter tree. That'd be a good transmitter tree. And, and you, you look for that gap and you think, oh, is there some water in between the two? Is there a pond? Is there a river? <laughs> is there enough cover at the transmitter end? <laughs> you see the first tree, but of course, then you need another tree for the other end of it. And when you get two, as you say, uh, oh, yes, that would be a great quarter wave, die path, waved up, whatever it is. It's, uh, it's so sad, isn't it? So we were, you know, your traditional Sunday pirate on cassettes um in 76 but then we decided that uh christmas of 76 we were going to do um a big live broadcast over the whole christmas period and um that was the plan and we had the programs were coming from um now what do we do do we use real names or dj names on on here i i think i'll stick to dj names just to be on the safe side so we were recording all our shows in Mark Ellis's flat in North London. And um, it was decided that what we would do is run the live radio station from Mark Ellis's flat, have a link transmitter over the road to the FM transmitter. Now, we were medium wave pirates, but we were going to do an FM as well. The FM would then radiate out. The medium wave, which was on a separate location, would pick up the FM signal and rebroadcast it. So we were going to be AM and FM live over the Christmas period. And we were. <clears throat> we came on on Christmas Eve at midnight. And round about uh, 2.30 in the morning, the medium wave went off. And... I was still in bed. I was due to come on at six in the morning. Um, they went down to the medium wave site and um, all that was left were the earth rods and the aerial. Everything else had gone. <sighs> Either somebody's just found all this and nicked it, um, thinking it's a nice hi-fi system or something, um, or it's been busted. Um, and then about an hour later, the FM went off. And again, I was oblivious to all of this. 
So they all went down to um, uh, over the road to where the FM transmitter was, uh, got in the lift to go up to the top. When they the lift doors opened, they heard this clunking, metallic clunking going down the stairwell and uh, gingerly opened the door and there was Brian Holder, um, complete with the FM aerial. Um, uh, gingerly they went downstairs and, and there was all the rest of them. Um, the transmitter, the area, everything had gone. So this big live broadcast um, actually lasted for two hours and um, it didn't happen didn't happen um and and meanwhile of course this is all pre-mobile phones so i'm at home i wake up at five expecting there to be a knock on the door in in 10 minutes and somebody coming to pick me up because i didn't drive at that time i was too young um and and nothing came and of course the station wasn't on the air so you kind of put two and two together it's been busted um thankfully no people were caught but uh, that was the end of that but um yeah collide um uh, London Music Radio was was we we tried to not emulate Kaleidoscope, but Kaleidoscope was a very professional sounding station. If you didn't know that it was a pirate, you would have no clue at all. It just sounded like a really good radio station, and we tried to do that with LMR. I wouldn't say we succeeded. We got pretty damn close, um, but but you know not quite close enough. But um, in terms of raids, the only one I remember clearly was we were coming from Beddington Sewage Farm because apparently, again, I'm not technical, Mark, but um, the combination of sewage and water and whatever would mean that, uh, you know, we'd get out five over nine or six over 12 or whatever. Um, anyway, we were at uh, Beddington Sewage Farm and suddenly the whistles went and, you know, all hell was let loose. And I'm guessing that everybody listen to, listening to this understands, but for the benefit of any newbies, when there was a raid, um, the, the site crew, the location staff, would blow whistles. And that would mean whoever was closest to the transmitter, if there wasn't somebody sitting nursing it, switch the bloody thing off. And the most important thing to get away was the transmitter. A, because it was expensive, and B, because if they didn't have a transmitter, they can't do you for anything. Um, so <laughs> that's fine. Uh, leave the car battery. You know, the car battery, A, relatively speaking, is cheap. And also, if you're not careful, you end up with pirate jeans. Do you remember the pirate? You can always tell a pirate because the front of his jeans has got all this acid burns from where the battery has leaked. I, I know people. I know people that literally half their jeans fell off while they were walking around with them because of these acid burns. And I had t-shirts and jeans exactly the same. And um, well, I, I, I can say this now because my parents are no longer with us. But I also had uh, acid burns in the carpet in my bedroom as well. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're doing a runner with with the transmitter um and all i can really remember is i think it was cliff he said this way and he he held open some of that corrugated um sheet metal that they used to sort of fence off areas with and um it was it was like he kind of peeled it back and as i went through 
I think I was holding the transmitter. As I went through, my foot slipped and my head went straight into this corrugated metal and the wooden post. And I can't remember anything after that. And and whenever we talk to this day, Cliff and I, and I have to say, oh, yeah, and then what happened? Oh, did it? And then what happened? Right, okay. But we got away, did we? Got no idea. Um, so raids were, were you know, it, they were exciting. But at the same time, um, I wouldn't say I was scared. I don't, I don't, the way I remember it is I, there was one person, at LMR, who was terrified of going on to location. Um, but I think everybody else, I don't remember there being fear of getting nicked. It was just a pain in the arse, you know, the whole process. I, n- I never actually got caught myself. Um, we, we were, well, I say we were raided. I think it was more to do with nosy individuals poking their nose in. And I know that when I wasn't on site once, a policeman, off-duty policeman came along and said, I know what you're up to. Switch it off. I'll be back in an hour. Um, but yeah, so we did. <laughs> we switched it all off and, and took it away. But I, no, I don't remember being scared. I was always a little bit apprehensive, but never scared as such. Um, but I think part of why we did it was the adrenaline and the rush of the whole thing. But uh, no, no, I know what you mean. And sorry, talking about Wellington Surge Works, Radio Jackie used that for ages and had a whole setup where they buried a power cable and an audio cable and all kinds of stuff in that area. Oh, I wish we knew that. I mean, that, that was the other thing is that if you got raided, I mean, these stations, LMR was on between 10 and 4 on a Sunday. And if you got raided, I don't know, you know, midday, one o'clock invariably you kind of go, well, should we go over to Radio Jackie then? And um, sometimes we knew where they were coming from. Other times we didn't. And you'd do the old direction find. And and there was that kind of the anorak thing of, I tracked you. I tracked it all the way from wherever we were. And so there was the social aspect as well, when you'd suddenly pitch up on site. And I remember, I clearly remember the first time I saw Bob Dunn. Do you know Bob Dunn? Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm hoping to speak to him in the next few weeks for this. So yes. <laughs> Bob's a lovely man. He is a lovely man. But he used to scare me shitless before I knew him. Because he... <laughs> He just looked like a mean mother person, and um, um, I remember I remember meeting Bob for the first time on a Jackie location, um, and that was a weird thing because I, I do recall at one point being on location at Jackie on site, thinking if they get busted now. There's a chance that I'm going to get busted, but I'm actually nothing to do with this. I'm just sightseeing, you know. But but you know, how do I explain all that away? But there was a good there was a good relationship between us and Jackie. I remember that. Um, you know, I, I I hear people talking. Perhaps this is the next generation of pirates where it all kind of changed a bit and. You know, it, when the tower block thing happened and there was some serious dough flying around and there was there was a lot, from what I can gather, there was a lot of um, antagonism between various stations. This is my patch. No, it's mine. You know, I oh, I've been here for a week, you know, and all that kind of stuff. There was never that in the 70s that I remember anyway. Um, yeah, well, I, I, th- I think... 
what often happened was was that a lot of stations came out of other stations. So, I mean, you talk, you talk about LMR back back in the seventies. You know, the the, uh, the people who came out of that started some incredible stations. I mean, you look at Thameside Radio and things like that. So I think a lot of the people, they knew each other. The other thing was that when we were doing, well, I, this is, I say when we were doing it, I was sort of late seventies, early eighties. It wasn't a money thing. We weren't generating money and, you know, trying to advertise club nights and stuff. And I think that's where it changed is when the big money got involved. I mean, everybody would like to have a little bit of an advert from a local record shop or whatever. But but it was never, it, you know, I knew I was never going to make any money. It was only going to cost me money. Um, and, you know, we had subs and like like all other stations, I should imagine. But, you know, I knew the guys from Alice's Restaurant very well and Phoenix is who I started off in the game with. But I knew the guys from Radio Amanda really well. And it, and it just, it, you know, and, and we all used to go, as you say, go and DF each other and turn up and then everybody look at everybody else a bit suspiciously until you realised who they were, or if you already knew them, of course. But, you know, I remember Gary Stevens from NLR coming to find me one day. And and I turn up for a take change and he's standing next to the transmitter as bold as brass. Um, you know, but it, I agree. I think it was, it was very much more, um, we were all sort of in it together, regardless of the station you were on. Yeah. I remember that, that, as you say, there was this, we're all in this together. We've got our own little stations. Um, and, and, Maybe this is uh, taps into that whole thing. When LMR started, we were in southwest London, just like Radio Jackie. And quite soon, we kind of realized maybe we should go southeast London, which was great for me because that's where I was from. Leave Jackie to Jackie's territory of southwest London and let's go to the southeast. So we did. And that was even better because Jackie had Southwest London, we had Southeast London, we coexisted perfectly. And there was this the cross, I don't think cross-contamination is the right word, but there was a cross-contamination of staff. And, and you know, if, if you needed a bit of equipment, you know, um, you know, Mark, would ring Nick Catford and say, oh, have you got a 602? Because I've just blown one in my 501 or whatever. I remember, again, uh, at Mark's flat, I remember going to record my show one day and um, he was very excited because he'd built this new rig. And uh, for those who were there at the time, um, you'll know this, but for those who weren't, you may not know that your average medium wave transmitter in those days resembled something like an upside down cake tin, biscuit tin. So you've got like an aluminium chassis thing and then a little piece of aluminium at the front, which had knobs and things on it. And then the rest of it was just this mass of valves and wires and I don't know what they do. And I remember going in to record my show and I said, oh, what are you doing? He said, oh, I've just built a new rig. Oh, right, fine. And there was a light bulb attached to it. And I said, well, that's a bit stupid, isn't it? Having a light bulb. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's daytime. Why do you need a light bulb for your transmitter? And he said, no, it's a dummy load. Yeah, but it's a light bulb. Anyway, so then I got a lesson in what a dummy load was. And that was great. I mean, this thing not only broadcast, but you could use it as a light show as well. You know, you turn a couple of 
capacitors or modulators or something, and this light bulb would grow in intensity, and it was like a dimmer switch. It was great. I loved watching that. But, um, yeah, in all my years, I've never really understood the whole... I mean, I've got to be honest, I still... I still don't understand how radio works. You know, the fact that you can just sit there with this little box with a PP9 on it and you can hear something from hundreds of miles away. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just just you just hear this stuff from hundreds of miles away with no wires. I, you know, to me, I still don't understand that. It's just it's just crazy. Yeah, but to be to be a to be a driver, you don't need to know how the car works, do you? As long as, as, long as it gets you from A to B. Um, no, it is interesting. You know that whole period, as you say. I don't. I bought transmitters from. Uh, you won't mind me saying from Martin um, from Alice's restaurant. He used to build my transmitters for me. But it, it, you're talking about this whole thing with with different areas and different groups in different areas. When you look at this geographical thing in London, and you talk about you know southeast and southwest London, it was the same thing. I think everywhere. You know, there was the whole group of us in East London with there was East London Radio, Alice's Restaurant, Phoenix Radio, Radio Comsat, um, and then over in Northwest London there was Radio City, Age City Radio, um, Floss Celebration, and it seemed to be. And then there's North London with Amy and NLR and then eventually Radio Veronica and Happy Music Radio, if you remember that one. And um, it seemed to me that groups of people seemed to sort of coalesce around one or two characters who are either rig builders or were just very good at organising stuff. Uh, and that's how the whole thing seemed to work. And eventually we all sort of got to know each other. But I think the same thing happened on FM with South London stations and West London stations. Um, it, it is interesting how, how it all worked Um very well. And we, as I said, we all seem to get on quite well, I think. The rig builders were the, the you know, they were worth their weight in gold, those people. I mean, you know, if you knew somebody who could build a rig, wow, you, you kept in touch with that person. And I mean, interesting, just listening to you there going through all those station names. Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten that. Oh, God, yeah. And I, you know, you talk about Alice's restaurant. I remember. I mean, after the land based stuff, I went out to Caroline for a couple of years on the North Sea. And I, I clearly remember um, once, I think it was the ship had sunk, and I was back at home tuning around one Sunday and I found Alice's restaurant. And it was like, wow, this signal was just romping in. And I loved Alice's restaurant. I mean, even down to the fact that they called the radio station. Alice's Restaurant. Not Radio Alice's, just Alice's Restaurant. It told me everything I wanted to know about this station. You know, I wasn't going to hear the Nolans on a radio station called Alice's Restaurant. It was great. I used to love that station. Um, well, well, I know the guys who, who ran it at the time. I know them very well. I'm, I'm still very good friends with them all. Um, and I think the reason was they were a little bit obsessed with the song at the time, you know, the, the, the Arlo Guthrie song. And I think it just popped into their heads. And why don't we just call it Alice's Restaurant? And and it it was, it was a tremendous station, uh, I will say. As I said, I'd left that group before that happened. Um, but it, it was it was an incredible station, and still has a, a you know very fond memories for people these days. Well, I mean, the, the the interesting point, probably the most interesting point, is that there was no other opportunity for me to hear that music on a Sunday daytime than Alice's Restaurant. It needed a pirate radio station to provide 
that service. And, you know, sometimes we can get a bit carried away when we look back on pirate radio and actually forget that sometimes the output of that station... Um, I mean, Kaleidoscope, very professional, very professional station. LMR, almost. But when I look back at some of the people who were on air at London Music Radio, there was some real talent on there, some very, very good people. Um, Andy Allman, um, who I believe now goes by the name of... Um, I can't think. It'll come to me in a minute. But... Well, I remember when I first met Andy, it was like, oh, my God, you, you look like you're about 15 years old, but you're so talented. Great broadcaster, great and production in, you know, editing tape and whatever. And, um, you know, and Andy was just one of these people who he knew how to build transmitters. He knew how to put aerials up. He knew how to do a really good radio show. He knew how to edit tape. He knew all this stuff. And you meet these people. In, in my case, I was very young, very, very young at the time. And I just think I met so many interesting people and talented people in their own way. Um that it's kind of made the rest of my life quite boring because nothing matches this. You know, we we talked earlier, you and I, about how radio people generally are a little bit messed up in one way or another. Um, but they're all fascinating characters. You know, I remember Andy taking me over to... Um, to meet the um, Radio Free London, the Radio Sheila people, you know, Kenny Myers and Oval and all these people. And... It was, it was, shut. I, I couldn't believe this. He said, Andy said, show, show him the desk, show Bob the desk. And he went, oh, okay. And he went to this table. It was like a kitchen table kind of thing. And it, his right hand went out and I'm thinking, what's he doing? And he pulled this drawer out from under the kitchen table and out came this 16-channel recording mixer with with PPMs and everything. And it was, he designed this thing to sit underneath a kitchen table. I mean, what kind of brain does that? Fantastic. Just incredible. And so I was meeting all these amazing people who, thankfully, because of the Facebook group, I realise are actually still around, most of them. I mean, we've lost a few, obviously. But... A lot of these people, these real characters, are still around. And, you know, when when you sit and count on your fingers how many years ago I'm talking about here, it's kind of scary. But the Facebook group has made me realise they're still around. And actually, a lot of them have still got that same mentality. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it hasn't gone. This is the interesting thing about the Facebook group, uh, is... The, uh, one, like you, I can't believe how many people are still obsessed by it. Even though they've moved their lives on some distance, they're still obsessed by the whole thing and have fantastic memories. I've met um, some really incredible characters doing this. And, and I don't know if you know the history of the Facebook group, but very quickly, me and Mark Dazani were having a, a, a little message conversation because uh, I'd found some old Radio Zodiac stuff uh, when I was having a clear out. Uh, and I sent him pictures and I said, is there a Facebook group for this? I started it up. We're up to, we're over 750 members now. And it's been going for about three, nearly three years. It'll be three years in May. Uh, and I can't believe the people who are on it. And the other thing 
you're talking about is the people that I knew from those days as well. I was on Radio Shoestring for a while in Walthamstow. Uh, Mitch Johnson, you know, showbiz Mitch from Radio 2. Gary King, um, Paul McKenna. <laughs> All these people were involved in Shoestring and are now, you know, uh, and have been, you know, uh, very well-known broadcasters, not unlike yourself, very known well broadcasters in, you know, legal radio. And the amount of people who are still technical, you know, Martin uh, runs D uh, DAB transmitters. Um, Laurie also runs DAB and radio stations. There's so many people still involved in radio and it all comes down to when they started in radio as a pirate radio person sitting there listening on a Sunday afternoon and going, oh, I think I'll get involved in that. And and that's been their life. That's been their career. Yeah. And, and you know, somebody, I, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've uh, apart from odd jobs here and there, and I mean, you know, three days work here, two days work there. I've been really lucky. I've spent my whole life in broadcasting and, um, I sometimes sit and think everything that I've achieved in life, including in personal, my personal life, it all comes back to that little moment in time when I tuned in to London Music Radio putting out an appeal for staff. Because it was through LMR that I met a fabulous bloke called Terry, who was part of LMR. Terry used to disappear off to the Mi Amigo for a few weeks at a time, polish up the generators and change the oil or whatever, and then come back and, you know. And it was through Terry that I was able to pass on a cassette tape and then another cassette and then a third cassette tape and eventually I got my gig on Caroline. From Caroline, everything, you know, happened. Um, um, my children, um, I met my first wife when I was working in Wolverhampton. She's a black country lass. I met her. If I hadn't have got the gig on Caroline, I wouldn't have got the gig on Beacon. I wouldn't have had those two children and, and so on and so on and so forth. And so it's re pirate radio is really important in my life. But the other thing, Mark, is, you know, you and I are chatting now and we're laughing and we're remembering such good fun and we're remembering characters and... You know, and I've made a point of of talking about the professionalism on the stations, and but you know the other thing that that has kind of ebbed away is the whole free radio thing. You know, we were free radio stations, and we were broadcasting because there was a perceived gap in what was happening and what was available, and. I can't tell you the amount of times over the years when I've listened to people, very vociferous people, saying things like, freedom of the press is vital. We need to maintain freedom of the press. And it's always pissed me off that I can start a newspaper like that and I can print pretty much whatever I like. And within reason, nobody's going to... But I can't put on a radio station that plays Steely Dan records back-to-back. -back. You can't do that. I'll I tell you what, I'll start that station for you and we'll be the only two people listening or even on it for that matter. <laughs> That's where we have to leave our chat with Bob Lawrence for now. The second part of the conversation will be out in a couple of weeks where we chat about his time on the Mi Amigo and working at various ILR stations. Thanks to the pirateharchive.net 
and amfm.org.uk for the off-air clips. If you'd like to get in touch with us, then email at piratepod7080 at gmail.com or via the Landbase Pirates of the 70s and 80s Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. It really helps if you could like, subscribe, follow and leave a review as well. We'll be back in two weeks with the second part of my chat with Bob Lawrence. So until then, stay safe and keep an eye out during those tape changes. Radio Nova, broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.